Pubcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Everyone deserves a seat at the problem-solving table, and everybody has the talent, the ingenuity, the skills, the experience to contribute to make positive impact in the world and in fact everyone needs to and everyone should that is like we all have a part to play and this is how we're going to solve um, challenge in the sense of corollary to the title of the book the answer is you welcome to the liberated healer podcast where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality energetic healing and everything in between and beyond Take an adventure on a shooting star with your hosts, Gina and Linnea, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. My name is Gina Cavalier, and this is the Liberated Healer Podcast. Hi, Gina. My name is Linnea. I am your other host of the Liberated Healer, coming to you from Los Angeles. And we have the lovely Alex Amuel. Is that how we say your last name? Amuel. Yeah. Okay, great. Amuel. And she has uh, a new book coming out. The answer is you. It's a guidebook to creating a life full of impact, which is something that obviously we are desperately feeling like we need nowadays. Um, She spent 15 years working in the social impact space. Uh, First one of the largest children nonprofit, Save the Children, and then for the Clinton Foundation. She now leads SOLVE, an initiative of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. She is dedicating 50% of the proceeds of this book to to SOLVE, which we are hugely appreciative and love seeing that she's putting her mouth where her uh, activities are from. So welcome, Alex. And we'd love to hear a little bit about you and um, what got you on the journey to this book and what you're up to. Thank you. I'm so delighted to to be here and thank you for having me. Um, And yeah, um, I've from a very young age wanted to have impact in the world and that started off with dreams of being a prosecutor. I write in the book uh, and and then I think I was watching too much TV series, you know, like Law and Order and things like that. And then um, and then I thought I would be a research scientist and rid the world of cancer, but I really hated sort of pipetting and what research science um, really was about. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, in the end sort of, studying switching my studies from biochemistry to international relations 
and uh, in the end started working, as you said, for, for Save the Children and the Clinton Foundation and now MIT Solve. And I decided to write this book uh, during a pandemic uh, because I had some free time, but also because a question that kept coming to me from young people, from my friends, from people who were mid-career, from people who were nearing retirement, so sort of I'd say all ages was, wow, I'd love to have more impact in my life. What you seem to be doing is interesting, but how can I get started too? And I felt there was a lot of um, sort of desire and motivation for people to do good, uh, but then quite a lot of frustration or confusion and always thinking that people, you know, that you needed to quit your job and go work for a nonprofit. And so I thought I could be helpful in giving my own advice of how everyone can and really should get started and how part of the way we're going to solve these big problems is that everybody gets involved um, and that I could sort of give my own advice and some frameworks for everybody to start thinking about that. And I also tell the story through uh, in the book of 21 different social entrepreneurs, activists, change makers um, about how and why they got started too and their journeys. And I really found that beautiful. You know, there's people that um, have had just a huge change in trajectory because of something that happened to them and um, something that they might not have ever have thought that they their life would have gone down that road. But then they all of a sudden it, it, it comes in front of their face that they have they've become now that voice of that thing which some, uh, and well, we'll have to talk a little bit, a little bit more about some of your uh, people that you highlight in your book. But um, so can you tell us a little bit also about your background of getting to this point? Uh, sure. I, uh, as I mentioned, I think I, I started off as a biochemist and the, I started even a PhD and the day I turned 21, I am three months in, I quit in that PhD. Um, and I was sort of unsure what I was going to do with my life after that. Um, I went to teach English in China. I did a series of things and I ended up choosing to do a master's in, in international affairs. Um, and then I got really passionate about human rights. And I guess like many idealistic 20 something year olds, uh, no one would uh, pay me to do anything <laughs> in human rights, <laughs> let alone even interview me for a job which would pay almost nothing. Um, uh, there was I did do an internship at some point with Amnesty International and, and it was um, I wasn't really getting paid. And it was soul crushing in the sense that I was responsible for filling in databases of people who had died as a result of human rights violations in Sri Lanka. Oh, my. God. And yeah. That's, and in that sense, intense. it's really important work because that's how Amnesty International can say there are X thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who have died uh, in Sri Lanka as a result of human yeah. rights violations. At the same time, it was a soul-crushing internship. Yeah. And um, and so there was a lot of frustration in my youth about being able to work in social impact and, and do work relating to that. So I ended, I ended up joining a management consultancy because they would 
pay me something and <laughs> the work at least they sold it on the basis of the work would be interested and I would learn a lot and I did um and that's in fact how I did two innovate years at save the children uh, at um the Boston Consulting Group as a strategy consultant and one of their pro bono clients was Save the Children. So that's how I even got a job at Save the Children was because I ended up on a project with um, a pro bono project sort of thing. Um, and that's what in, in the end got me started. Um, and interestingly, who knew you could be a management management consultant for <laughs> nonprofits, but that's what I ended up doing, at least at the beginning of my career. And right. it was needed, which is, you know, then I always say to my lawyer friends or, the, you know, they need lawyers and nonprofits, true. It's, you know, <laughs> um, they need those types of skills yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's something that we talk about on a kind of a regular basis, I would say, actually, is that, you know, people start off in one arena that they're not necessarily meant for. But I think once you get further down the line, and, you know, this is something I have realized in my own life as well. I know Gina has, you know, it is more about learning the skills and going through the steps of that process because you are learning things in every step of the way, that, every step of your journey. And those skills that you accrue are things that you're going to be able to use down the line. And it's like, look where it led you. Now you're doing something that you didn't even know was like a possibility at the beginning. So, you know, just a moment of validation for everybody out there listening. Just because you're doing something right now doesn't necessarily mean that it's what you're going to be doing forever. But I'm sure that you'll learn valuable skills there that you will apply later on. True that. Yes. So Alex, can you tell us um, how you can build your seat at, at the problem solving table, if that is something that you um, are feel that you want to get into? Yeah, absolutely. So, and in the book, I say part of the reason it's titled The Answer Is You is because I say everyone deserves a seat at the problem solving table and everybody has the talent, the ingenuity, the skills, the experience to contribute to make positive impact in the world. And in fact, everyone needs to and everyone should. That is like, we all have a part to play and this is how we're gonna solve um, challenge. In the sense, a corollary to the title of the book, the answer is you and you need to get involved <laughs> is kind of the corollary to that. Um, but sometimes where, you know, and this is in fact a quote from, um, Edgar Villanova, who's um, from the Lumbi tribe and who's, who's kind enough to put an endorsement for the book. Um, he sometimes, he says, it's not just about like claiming your seat at the problem solving table or claiming your seat at the, the table, but, you know, building a whole new table and sort of <laughs> making space for yourself. So I also want to recognize that so sometimes indeed the people who have been invited to the table, we need to be we need to be much more inclusive and we need to help build a different uh, table. But enough with the table metaphor. <laughs> um, more broadly, I think what I tell to people, um, and this is the first chapter is, and this is what Lena, you, you were sort of alluding to, um, don't start with what the solution is to the problem or even what problem you should be working on, whether that's climate change or income inequality or healthcare or whatever, you know, passion you have, either a global problem or something very local in your community, 
start by looking into yourself and start mm -hmm. about thinking about what I what I name the super your superpowers and that is your skills your lived experience uh sometimes your trauma the things you've been through that uh make uh make you either uniquely truly uniquely placed in in the value and the talent and the ingenuity and the creativity you have to approach um a problem or at the very least that you can contribute meaningfully in that and i think that that's a really obviously that's a hard question to ask right to know yourself and understand what makes you great and your superpowers and that sometimes even it's the hard stuff that makes you great um but it is an important one because you, you know you don't want to what, what i'm hoping to dissuade people of just jumping into problems and jumping into solutions and having no no understanding of what they can really bring to bear or even the proximity to have that they might have um, with the problem. And so then when I talk about, you know, the second step is thinking about problems mm -hmm. and you can think about that top down, right? Sort of how the United Nations thinks about the big goals and challenges of this world, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can think about them bottom up, which is what am I seeing in my life, in my community, in my family? What have, what do I notice? And can I extrapolate problems uh, that I might be facing or that I see my community facing? And are these problems, um, I sort of paraphrase the sort of make a thing, is, are you trying to solve the marginal headaches of the most privileged among us or all the problems affecting millions and billions of the most marginalized people? And I hope and I'd like people to work on the latter <laughs> rather the former. Um, and that at the intersection of where your superpowers lie and a real problem affecting millions and billions of the most underserved, that's and something that resonates with you, whether you've experienced it yourself or you just keep seeing it and it keeps you up at night. And um, somebody, one of my other friends and colleagues, Natalie Molina, says, Think about problems you want to punch, basically, rather than passions. Um, and at the intersection of your superpowers and the real problem that keeps you up at night or that you want to punch, that's your purpose. And that's and that could, you know, I'm not going to say you can just draw. I have a little matrix in the book. I'm not going to say you can draw it and suddenly it'll all be clear. It could take months or years to really find that, but getting clear on where you might be on that matrix and then doing what you can to move slowly but surely more into your purpose is what what makes us all human and what's going to bring you joy and what's also going to help us solve all these big challenges we face. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel like a lot of times people will get overwhelmed by the big picture. So then they don't do anything. So you know, they'll say, oh, climate change or gun laws or whatever else. And it's like a big, big thing. So then they just get depleted and they're like, well, I can't do anything. So why try? And then they and then they, but you have to kind of recognize what keeps coming up and bubbling up for to your surface. And what can you make really increment little changes around you sometimes and really see how long it holds your interest. Correct. So. The reason why I'm saying that is because 
I've jumped into a lot of different things and I was passionate for about it, you know, at a percentage. And then after living it and doing it for about six months, I was like, wow, I really don't like this. Hmm. So then I would get mad at myself for waste, sort of wasting time in that area, even though I know I learned something or I met someone or stuff, but I would get frustrated with myself. So something for me that I work on is, am I going to be passionate about this like deeply? And even in like coming in like six months or a year, am I still going to have an interest in it? And that really helped me because I like, there's certain things I know I'll always have an interest in that. I just have had it forever. And so I kind of categorized those and wrote, wrote those down. And so I can kind of go back to um, seeing if that fits in my makeup for long-term success. And so I don't have to feel like I'm all over the place. So I want to see if you, what you thought about that type of process or what, how are you feeling about somebody who follows that line of thought? I think it's always good to get started basically because um and that sort of chapter five in the book is about start with 10 percent of your time and money it's i think when you know i don't want to betray that um many people in the world still don't have a choice with what how they spend their waking hours that they're still sort of uh living under two dollars a day or surviving or living with very difficult disabilities or whatever it is which means that they they don't have a choice um but um for those of us who and i suspect this will be the people who can buy my book and then read it uh who do have some choice at least with what they have uh, with their waking hours thinking about not to get overwhelmed to say i need to quit my job i need to change everything right now i need to you know what i'm doing i hate what i'm doing and it's having a negative impact in the world etc cetera, etc cetera is trying to set aside 10% of your time and ideally 10% of your money even. Um, and we can talk about the money side soon and, and carving out something that indeed might be an experiment that we are, that you want to test out for six months. And that could be taking a course on a Saturday afternoon. That could be volunteering. Um, that could be, you know, and I think it's good again to really think about your superpowers, to think about the problems that you care about, to indeed think, okay, is this just a, you know, passing fancy, or do I see that this could lead, you know, somewhere that helps me discover more my purpose in general, mm-hmm. and that your purpose is indeed something that will refine over time, but, you know, it's something that can stay with you for 20 or 30 years or something like that. And then start, start with 10%, test it out. It's not the, if it's not the right thing, because indeed, either it's not quite the problem that sustains you, or the or you're not well suited in, in in how you show up and how your superpowers show up for it, then hopefully you'll still have met, you've learned something, you'll have met something, and then move that 10% of time at least and, and also 10% of money uh, to trying something new. And then when it starts clicking, it'll be easier and easier for that 10% to become 15%, to become 20%, to become 30%. Um, and it will, somebody I was speaking to, in fact, um, yesterday, a social entrepreneur said he found and he is, he's called Dan Bard and he created, um, something during the pandemic called Red 
response. He's a chef, and and part of it was delivering meals to, um, for example, elderly people um, and people who were not able to cook for various reasons. And he he said, you know, once I started doing this, I found that time expanded, and I think that that is a testament, to indeed, sort of being able to want to spend time on these things and finding this new motivation and bringing your family in and sort of that there's not a contradiction between, you know, work time and family time and these things like that. And obviously that's easier said than done, but in, you know, that's what I deal with in chapter size. How do you really get started and and create that wedge of impact in your life? Now I have a question because you know, when you're speaking about superpowers and what you really are just good at in this lifetime. I think that I have found personally that sometimes I start too big and then I feel like I can't really give my all to all of those people because it's just too many people. I think I make a greater impact when I'm working with people one-on-one, you know, like using the ripple effect and having like helping one individual person really expand and grow. And then that helps the next person and the next person. So when you're talking about the intersection of your superpowers and helping, you know, a lot of people at the same time, how would you go about that if your superpower is more like on an individual basis with people? A hundred percent. I think it is in that real understanding of your superpowers and self-awareness um that you can really think through is it breadth that I'm going for is it depth um but um is it through you know coaching other people and or supporting other people or is it having direct uh impact I think uh one of the other frameworks I talk about is Julie Batelina um she's at Harvard and she just published a book called Powerful um, but one of the articles in HBR, uh, I quote, are it talks about, are you an agitator, an innovator, an orchestrator? Um, and she says that all three of those roles are essential for social change movements. And so, for example, the agitator is the person who protests, and the activist type, the person who points out the problems. And that, that is an important, you know, and we see this in current movements, but the agitation without innovation and new solutions doesn't go anywhere it's it's a grievance without um without which doesn't find an outlet innovators are the people who are trying new solutions but the innovator without what they call the orchestrator which is person in the system who maybe has the power to take an idea to scale and to insert it you know again the innovator that idea might just die basically Mm. um and this might not correspond quite to what you were talking about, about depth. You know, I think you're talking about, do I change one life deeply and that life indeed can have many ripple effects? Um, Or am I trying to get my message out to millions of people? And, and that I think it, it does. I think you can do both things, right. Uh, Either at the same time or over time, or you can see for your superpowers, what is what what is most comfortable to you and where you might excel but also think about if you're thinking from and i think it's perfectly acceptable to say i'm going to focus in on my community or and whatever however you define your community right your physical community where you're located in 
uh, your family, you know, the community that you, which could be a community across the world, but, you know, networked through, um, through a shared passion or something like that. So it's perfectly acceptable to say the impact I'm going to have is in my community and it's going to be very deep and it's going to be uh, very precise. I think it's just good as you think through it to understand the other dynamics at the play and to think about, you know, somebody else in the book, Rebecca Obuno says, um, the superhero is the collective. And I do contrast this mm -hmm. idea of you having superpowers but you not being a superhero yourself and that I'm not trying to create all these uh, famous, you know, social entrepreneurs or anything like that, but instead to think about how the work that you're doing deeply can match to maybe work that other people, that I, the, the people you're helping, what they're doing and or that there are other people you're connected to who maybe are doing this breadth work and and sharing the message to thousands or millions of people whatever it is mm. and the combining forces with your depth and their breadth can be then also a recipe for change if that makes sense absolutely I love that yeah it does and um so you also mentioned that now is the time to rethink how we define success individually and collectively uh, can you touch a base on a little bit about what you mean by that uh, absolutely. I think my hope is, um, you know, when we look at uh, gen surveys of Gen Zs and millennials, um, they really do care about impact and they care about, um, about, they're really worried about climate change. They're really worried about inequality. We talk about the sort of generation even having anxiety and eco-anxiety related mm -hmm. to that. Um, and you know, that, that anxiety might be justified, but I think this generation is, or this, these new generations, I'm a, I'm a, a older millennial, so I, I just about make the cut, but the, this, this Gen Z and millennial generation is, I hope and think, already redefining success as something different than, um, than the dollars they might accumulate in their bank account or, or hopefully the, the likes that they might have on social media. And mm -hmm. that definitely gives me hope. Um, but I, I would like everyone to start thinking that way and also that we don't all get trapped, I guess, as people <laughs> grow older in, in the idea that success is, um, is, is, you know, I would like everyone to measure success as the what is the positive impact that they have in the world, both currently and as throughout their lifetime, and thinking that as a core metric, um, and that they can think of that through obviously their job and their career, because that might occupy the majority of their waking hours, but also through the decisions that they make with their money in terms of giving, in terms of investing, in terms of purchasing their volunteer time, their family time, their community time, and that they have power and influence in all these spheres and they, they can help push um, systems and communities and institutions to towards positive impact. And kind of where they put their energy as well, uh, you know, through I, social media is going through kind of like it, an evolution right now. And the numbers are showing it, you know, just what do you think about social media and how that plays a role in 
uh, kind of some of the things that, you know, the nonprofit world or what you've seen, because I find it as a huge dichotomy sometimes that I struggle with between, you know, being in the, the nonprofit or the, you know, healing space versus now I'm, you know, you have the the celebrity and, you know, video games and movies and, and some of it is great and wonderful, but the dichotomy sometimes I struggle with because it seems like two sides of me or two sides of the world. And I kind of dip it, you know, want to put a foot here and dip a toe in here, but then I feel weird because I should be focusing all my energy on, you know, this stuff. And then when I see stuff on social media that is overwhelmingly negative about people really just bashing each other and things like that, it hurts me to the core. Um, so I'm wondering, do you have any, um, in, you know, thoughts or advice on that kind of dichotomy in, in this world? Um, I think I would say, I mean, technology is in general and social media being a subset of it, if, if, if uh, you may allow me to say that, um, technology is neutral <laughs> as a good thing or a bad thing. It's always been a source of uh, human progress. It's tied to the history of humanity. And sometimes it moves us miles forward in a positive way and sometimes it literally helps us murder people and millions of millions of people in in some cases um and so it's all about choices both about technologists who design these technologies politicians who regulate these technologies or don't regulate these technologies and us as individuals and societies how we how we use them um you know there's obviously a lot of talk recently about the negative parts of social media and its attack on democracy, perhaps, and it's creating more silos where, uh, yes, people with negative views and, and cyberbullying and many other things can, can do. Um, but there's also the counterbalance of, indeed, um, it's allowing people who maybe have very different uh, it's allowing communities of rare patients with rare diseases who never knew that there were other people in the world who um, who had the same disease they did to meet each other. It's allowing people to mobilize faster than ever when there is um, something um, uh, happening and and to to create sort of modern protests and modern movements that are. Right, it's a, and and you see that mobilization, such as the Red Hook response and other things like that during the pandemic. Um, and so, to me, it's neutral. I mean, like to me, I think there is obviously a lot that the technology companies and politicians can and should do to ensure the playing field is fair and that we um, we we try and use it at its best. But I think that there's a lot of um, solutions that are in in the book notably that rely on some form of social media and in a sense citizenship organizing through social media uh, one of them is uh is julia uh who is based out of new orleans and who has sort of a citizen journalism app uh around climate change adaptation and essentially you can take photos and 
show the evidence of the effects of climate change in your city. And she starts in New Orleans, but there are many users all around the world where every time there's a flood in your street, every time there's um, an event and the water isn't receding as fast as it used to recede or various things or the puzzles are deeper or whatever it is, you can take photos and make comments. And that gives you this bottom-up approach to um, seeing the effects of climate change, which uh, actually scientists don't typically get because they have models which predict it and they see things from satellites, but they don't see necessarily things from the ground. And so that is using social media in a way to mobilize people in an effective way uh, and complement the data sets around climate change. Um, and there's a few more examples of that as well in the book. That's a great example of somebody who obviously just came up with something that was gonna that was that they were passionate about that helps their immediate community, but then it's a ripple effect, you know, that can can mm -hmm. go. I I'm definitely gonna look into that. Well, I, you know, it's just interesting, kind of looping all of that back into a spiritual standpoint. I guess something that I've been relaying to a lot of other people recently is that there's duality in everything. There's a higher vibration and there's a lower vibration. And everybody has a choice what vibration you're going to operate in. So I think that it applies to social media as well, you know? And it's like you can use it as a self-serving tool if you so choose to be in that vibration. But there's also a lot of amazing things that you can do with it. I think that applies to pretty much anything in life. You just need to choose what vibration you want to be existing in. And do you want to make an impact on other people or do you want to be more self-serving? I think that's And it. there's some evidence that being um, charitable and purposeful and uh, kind is actually self-serving as well, that you will be happier as a person and your life will be more fulfilled. Uh, if you're a more generous, impactful, purposeful individual. So um, obviously within degrees, but and that's not always the path people choose, but um, in some level, one can still be self-serving and generous. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, your book is a workbook. So it, can you explain a little bit more about how the workbook is organized um, so you can kind of create this life that's full of impact? Uh, sure. It, I wouldn't say it's a workbook as a new, you can't fill, I don't yet, maybe I should, I don't yet have a workbook that you can sort of fill in. I actually, I love planners, so maybe I should create a workbook with a planner type thing, like 365 I days. I, uh, I actually, I thought of it, so, so next time on this podcast. Um, but the, um, it's organized still by chapters as different steps you can take. Uh, and so as discussed, chapter one is about thinking about yourself, your skills, your superpowers, your experience. Chapter two is thinking about the problems of this world. Three is seeing that intersection and that impact matrix. And, you know, you can draw it out for yourself about where you might fall on this impact metric. And then in chapter five, I asked you to think about all these facets of your life, um, be it your career, your family, 
your relationships, your volunteering, your giving, etc. Where are all the places that you might hold power and influence? And then creating a sort of scorecard, the balance sheet of your impact. And again, that's sort of the workbook aspect of it. Um, whereby you would think what brings you joy, what brings you money, what brings you impact and seeing how and what, how, what percentage of time do you spend on each of these things. And it might also, this impact matrix might also reveal, wow, I spend really way too much time at work versus time with my family. How can I rebuild? So it might also like help you think through other aspects of your life. Um, and then indeed chapter five is about the starting with the 10%. Chapter six is looking, it's a little bit of a look into your shortcomings and recognizing your privilege and thinking through um, the complexities and uh, of the social impact world and why it's not, you know, all good and why, you know, you're, you're sometimes playing in the system you're trying to dismantle at the same time. And indeed, there's a lot of duality, as Lydia was saying uh, about that. And then um, chapter six is, starts to look at solutions. Chapter eight is about measurement and thinking about how you know whether you're having an impact. And chapter nine, which I'm sure you'll uh, appreciate, um, is really thinking back about investing in yourself and how you avoid burnout and how you take care of yourself as somebody uh, who's mission-driven, which I think we, we often forget in the social impact space. And a lot of people do burn out, especially during this this time in the last few years yeah burnout has been a key word recently <laughs> it's it's hard to you know you, you it's hard to kind of just set those boundaries for yourself because you see so much going on and you feel like you could do take on the world and then all of a sudden yeah you're just completely got nothing left to give and now you don't even feel good on your own so absolutely and I think you said the conclusion is, if not you, then who? And just start now, which I love because it's true. If if who is, you know, if you have all these passions and you're upset about something or care about something, you're right. If not, you should do it. <laughs> you, you know, um, so I hence the title of the book. Yes. <laughs> But um, I love that conclusion as well. You you tied it right back to the title, which it's, you know, I love that. It's self-motivating and that each person can bring a lot to the world and um, on their own recognizes. And yeah, so wonderful. And well, we so appreciate this work that you have done. I mean, I know that this book is going to have an amazing impact on so many people and we're just so grateful that you spent this time with us and just all of the work that you've done already. Oh, well, thank you. Well, and going back to your comment, you know, this book in a sense, you know, do I do depth or breadth? This book is both like, from my point of view, it was a work of great depth for me to write it. But then once it's out, who knows, right? It's, it's a book of, then it's breadth. I don't really yeah. see the, I have to trust that, People are going to buy the book and then are going to read the book and that their lives are going to be influenced in some positive way and everything they do after that. I won't be able to see it really or measure it, but I have to trust in that there's real breadth um, in that. So that's what I'm trying to do, but let's see. <laughs> like an alliance of all the people, you know, coming together and just putting out 
all different varieties of good willed um, information in each different direction. And then it'll find that person that we always truly believe that it'll just find the person that needs the right information. And if you didn't put it out there, there's going to be a handful of people that, you know, not going to get to have this information that they really needed it. So um, again, I want to thank Mango Publishing, who's been really amazing, Gina, and organizing um, such, such great authors with us. And um, thank you again, Alex. And we are so grateful for this time that you spent with us and to our listeners. And this is Gina Cavalier with the Liberated Healer podcast. You can reach me at Gina at liberatedhealer.com if you have any comments, questions, or anything else that you want to share with us. And you can also find us on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast. And you can send us a message there too, if you like. So we'll be signing off today with Alex and her lovely book. And pick it up. It's called The Answer Is You. And it can be found on Amazon and all the traditional distribution channels. Thank you so much. Bye for now, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Podcast.